You're listening to Station F, the podcast. From the world's largest startup campus in Paris. This is Station F, the podcast, and I'm your host, Roxanne Varza. This week, we have Kai-Fu Lee, who is a well-known AI expert and has led some really incredible projects at Apple, Google, Microsoft, and more. Today, he runs Sinovation Ventures, a fund that invests not only in AI, but in a lot of deep tech and futuristic technologies. He's also a New York Times bestselling author and has written two books, AI Superpowers and, most recently, AI 2041. In this episode, we'll cover his background, his books, and also his work in investment. This podcast is supported by TikTok. TikTok is a key platform for businesses. By constantly making sure that the platform remains a safe place for everyone, TikTok offers a welcoming and positive environment where companies can express themselves in their most authentic way. So what if TikTok was the asset your business needs today to thrive tomorrow? Hi, Kai-Fu. It's great to have you with us today. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm wondering, do people call you Mr. AI? <laughs> you, you would. <laughs> <laughs> no, jokes jokes aside, um, obviously, I think a lot of people know you as uh, an expert in, in AI, but I'd just love to hear from you. Um, how did you get into AI and doing what you're doing today? Yeah, actually, it was about uh, 40 years ago when I went to college and I was fortunate to have, was attending uh, Columbia University, and I had uh, several great professors who uh, showed me there's this new field called artificial intelligence that it's teaching computers to see and hear and understand, and uh, that became fascinating to me. It seemed like uh, the mankind's last challenge to understand how we think. Um, and I just felt like this is the most exciting thing that I've ever heard, and I needed to be a part of that. That's incredible. So 40 years ago, we were talking about AI. Uh, yeah, exactly. And did it look anything like what we're looking at today? Oh, not at all. <laughs> we barely <have laughs> had any computing resources. So to teach the computer to see, I was using dots on the computer to, uh, to, to draw stick figures. And to uh, get sp uh, computers to understand speech, I would make one recording and it could take one whole night to recognize that sentence. Super. Wow. And just for people who may be a little bit less familiar with kind of every uh, place that you've worked and your background, um, could you just take us a little bit through from that time in university when you discovered AI to where you are today? Kind of what have been the big milestones in your career? Uh, yeah. So uh, f after Columbia, I went to Carnegie Mellon for my PhD and did a thesis on uh, speech recognition and built the first working speech recognition system in, in the laboratory. In, this is in the late 80s. I also developed an Othello playing program that beat the world champion. Um, and that was, I think, the first or second time ever that a uh, computer beat a human in any game. Of course, it's a much easier game than chess or Go. Um, after Carnegie Mellon, I taught for two years. And then I went to Apple in 1990. Um, I led Apple's uh, speech, natural language, and multimedia efforts. And uh, in 96, uh, I was the VP of um, interactive media. And then I went to SGI, uh, which is the company that 
built uh, a lot of uh, graphics workstations that enabled the likes of Terminator and Toy Story. Um, and, and I uh, ran their uh, web server group as well as their 3D virtual reality efforts. And that was a lot of fun, but a very challenging field. And then when Microsoft approached me about opening a research lab in Beijing, I accepted. This was in 98. I did that uh, for two years. And we hired a lot of super smart Chinese uh, researchers. And that lab, Microsoft Research Asia, is now regarded as the best uh, lab for AI in, in Asia. And a lot of people that I hired and mentored and trained are now the who's who in AI in China. Uh, after Microsoft um, China, I went back to Microsoft headquarters for five years uh, and also worked on AI, speech server, natural language technologies. And then I went to Google to start Google China. And, and that included some work in AI, but mostly it was building up a presence. I did that for four years. Google actually did pretty well under my tenure. But shortly after I left in 2009, uh, Google decided to pull out of China, which was a pity. Um, uh, anyway, so 2009, I started uh, Sinovation Ventures, which is a VC investment firm, but focused on high tech, focused on early stage, and particularly expert in artificial intelligence. We've made about uh, 400 investments total with about 50 in artificial intelligence. And uh, now there are seven unicorns and probably seven to 10 IPOs in the coming year uh, from just from our AI portfolio. And that's what we're best known by. And, and uh, we continue to invest in and sometimes incubate uh, AI companies uh, and, and that's, the, that's my job. And I've uh, written two books on AI. AI Superpowers was my first book published three years ago. And then AI 2041 is my new book. Super. Wow. So I was going to say uh, one incredible experience after the other. It just, it's amazing all the stuff that you've done. I think you're one of the few people we've ever spoken to on the podcast that has worked at Apple, Google, Microsoft, uh, written two books, has a really great performing venture fund as well. So that's uh, incredible. We'll get to come to the venture fund in a second. But before we do, I actually want to talk about uh, your books and especially your most recent one. So AI 2041. Um, first of all, tell me why 2041? Because it's uh, 20 years out, and 20 years is just about right amount of time. It's long enough that a lot of um, exciting futuristic things can happen, but not so long that, um, that it's just uh, speculation on what could happen. We can actually make scientific projections and predictions and extrapolations and responsibly extrapolate and predict what the world will be like in 20 years. It won't be perfectly correct, but it should be pretty close. And because- So essentially you're trying to make something very concrete and real, not like a sci-fi movie. Right, right. Uh, so I have a co-author, uh, Chen Fan, and I provide a technological roadmap of 20 or so technologies of how and when they'll mature, what problems they'll develop and uh, what industries they could be used in. And then we weave that with uh, his model of wanting to show AI will change every country. Um, so we're trying to show AI changes every industry, every country. And then there are 
uh, permutations of technologies, industries, and countries in the 10 stories, which uh, he wrote. And then uh, I would write commentaries about the stories and the technologies used in them and the problems they cause and how we might solve them. And another reason we chose 2041 is the 4-1, the, the, the digits 4-1 look a lot like the letters AI. <laughs> That's true. Um, I want to come back to something that you just said, and you, you mentioned that AI is going to be essentially in everything, and then you said the problems that they could cause and the solutions that we might put in front of them. Um, is this written as some kind of warning? Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, first, I think all technologies uh, cause unexpected problems. When electricity first came out, it, it, people got electrocuted. When internet was first connected to PCs, there were, there were, were uh, malicious viruses that infected many PCs. So uh, popular, exciting technologies are very likely to attract and cause uh, either in, unintentionally or intentionally problems. And, and then ultimately, if people put their minds to it between uh, regulations and technological solutions, we eventually overcome them. So I, I think it's natural to have these problems. And, and that's why I want to paint that an optimistic future where uh, the, these problems will uh, mostly get solved. That's uh, that's a very good point to highlight, and I'm glad that you finish on an optimistic note. But just to kind of dive a little bit more into the concrete problems that we could actually see, could you give us an example of something that you feel is, is a real problem that, that might come about? Sure. Some AI algorithms are unfair because they've seen more men than women, or maybe more of one race than another, or that they weren't trained on enough samples of data that represented the the usage population and ended up biasing results uh, and because they didn't see enough samples from a particular important uh, segment. So that's one example and it's led to bias. Uh, one large company actually ended up hiring fewer women because they hired fewer women to begin with. They didn't have the samples so, so that uh, continued and exacerbated their, uh, their, their problem. And, and in another uh, example uh, used for recognition, um, it was uh, unable to recognize uh, certain uh, races and that you know, caused uh, unfairness as well. That's, that's one example. That's a, that's a super example. And I'm wondering, just like we, we might have some listeners that see, that hear that and they think, okay, so what? Is that really such a big problem? I mean, what's the real risk that we're talking about? Um, <clears throat> this could inflict pain on people if, if people are not recognized, auton autonomous vehicles um, may make mistakes and, uh, right, and that could run into people and that could cause uh, people's lives. And if, if mistakes are made in surgeries, that would also obviously hurt people. If, let's say, you train a diagnostic um, uh, system for medical diagnosis, but you omit it certain types of um, uh, data, um, and, and then it gave the wrong treatment. Uh, that's another serious problem. So these are uh, uh, possible negative outcomes. And another type that people talk a lot about is because AI is so good at um, single-mindedly optimizing something 
that it, it might do that at the expense of other things. So as an example, when Facebook and Google program their AI to get you to click more, read more, watch more videos, um, and spend more money, it may show you things that will cause you to uh, click and watch and spend, but you don't feel good at the end of the day. It might have even shown you extremist content that made you a worse person or an unhappy or frustrated or tired person. Uh, and um, uh, that ability to uh, focus on maximizing uh, user clicks can cause um, unhappiness and pain in users. So that's another uh, extreme example. Yeah, I imagine our, our listeners potentially have dealt with that before. Um, now tell me, just on a personal level, what is your favorite part of the book? Um, my favorite parts are uh, some of the stories that really tell um, more about technology. So one talks about the use of quantum computers uh, to break Bitcoin wallets. I think that's an exciting uh, but scary uh, future. And um, another part uh, talks about uh, having robots as someone's friend because she is um, uh, scared of meeting more people as a result of COVID and social distancing. But yet robots work so well that one can have a solitary life. But what does it? What would it take for someone who got frightened about the pandemic uh, and who has at her disposal all these wonderful robots to become courageous enough to make a first step, perhaps to meet someone that she loves? So that's another, I think, a very touching story. Um, a third story is actually very, uh, could be even happening today. It's about an insurance company that became so powerful that it has many apps and it starts to uh, help people run into fewer insurance, to have fewer insurance claim filings, which means making them healthy. So you th would think that's a good thing, but because it has so much power, it started manipulating people's daily lives uh, and in fact actually hindered a um, relationship from developing because it's perceived to be potentially causing uh, greater uh, insurance claims. So that, I think, is a very clever story that's carried to the extreme that even if that insurance or internet company means well and wants you to be less sick, it can still create externalities that you wish it hadn't. So, so those were some of my favorite stories. Yeah, I, re I really like those examples. And I think it's funny because we started out jokingly saying uh, this wasn't meant to be sci-fi, but it definitely is with the, the robot example and, and the other examples that you just gave. Um, I'm wondering, um, what is, what is the, the solution that you put in front of all these problems? Is it always a technical solution? Uh, most of them are because I think most problems caused by technology needed to be solved by technology, right? Um, when, when the you know, internet was connected to PC and we got all these viruses, it took an uh, antivirus software to solve the problem. Uh, when Y2K was a problem, again, you know, it was a technical solution. So, um, and, and there are people developing these solutions. So I'm optimistic we can figure these out. For example, on the unfair data uh, bias causing AI bias, 
well, why can't we have smart tools that checks for having sufficient and balanced data and alert the programmer when they don't have it? It's fairly simple and straightforward. Um, and in terms of uh, AI trying uh, single-mindedly to do one thing so well at the and it does so at the expense of other things, well, why can't we have AI that learns to balance multiple things, uh, balance the uh, efficiency of autonomous vehicles, but also the safety of people, balance the user from watching more YouTube videos, but also end up feeling good about them or having learned something in the process. So greater complexity there. And then on personal data, uh, people want to take back the data and not let internet companies see them, but then AI will, will, will fail because it doesn't know about you and, and apps will no longer be smart. But why can't there be technologies that let you have your cake and eat it too? That is, you can take your data and entrust it to computers that you trust, like your phone or your hospital's server, and let that computer uh, access your data, but don't give it to anyone else. So, so your country can train a new cure for cancer by, act, by running this uh, AI learning on all the hospitals. Each hospital would access its patient's data, but no more. Then perhaps you can have your cake and eat it too. So we can imagine potential technological solutions and we should develop them. And, and where this falls short, of course, uh, regulation might be an alternative or both can be used in tandem. Very interesting. Um, I do agree with you that, that there will be some regulation required. Um, and now I'm, I'm just also interested to know, because obviously you've written this as your second book, um, AI Superpowers was your first book. What is the link between the two? Uh, they're both trying to get more people to understand what AI is. And in AI Superpowers, I talk about the power of data and, and, and the increasing popularity of AI and it will be used in all industries and there will be many people who can program AI. So a lot of that has happened. In AI Superpowers, I also talk about China having so much data and having so many good engineers is destined to do well, which also has happened. Uh, AI 2041 tries to take the uh, explanatory nature of the book to the next level. To the extent that AI superpowers were somewhat easy to read and accessible to people who weren't tech experts, AI 2041 can be accessible to everyone uh, through the art of storytelling. So it's doing the same thing, but hopefully telling stories that are even more engaging and perhaps even entertaining. Well, I definitely think from the examples you gave us, that's the case. Um, I'd like to turn now to your venture fund. Uh, you mentioned in the beginning some pretty impressive numbers. Um, so I don't remember how many, seven unicorns and quite a few IPOs coming up. Just just give us a little bit of an idea, um, essentially how you're applying uh, all your interests, your background to investing and to your investment thesis. Right. Um so we are investors in uh, deep tech. And um, uh, first and foremost, we are strong believers that AI will change the world. And we're chasing new AI technologies all the time. For example, uh, around um, uh, seven years ago, 
AI started beating humans in recognizing objects. And that was when we said, okay, this computer vision capability can be applied to uh, autonomous retail and um, autonomous vehicles and visual inspection in manufacturing, uh, reading MRIs for medical. So let's invest big because uh, with researchers showing AI can recognize objects as well as or better than people, then there are these applications that can save money and make money. So similarly, around two years ago, we said uh, another technology has tipped natural language pro processing. Uh, AI was able to actually uh, do reading comprehension better than people. That is, give it any long story, or uh, could be financial, could be sports, and then ask any question and measure whether AI answered more correctly than people. And again, AI exceeded people about two years ago. And that was when we said that will really change the future. It will make speech recognition much more accurate, machine translation, uh, and also question answering in financial and healthcare and other domains. It will make search engines smarter uh, rather than give you a bunch of links from, a bun from searching keywords. It will answer your question with one question with one answer. So we thought that would be a thesis to invest in. So we read a lot of research papers. And then from that, we um, make investment theses based on that. And that has been a secret of our success. Uh, we also look at the priorities of countries. It's very clear to us being based in China that China's uh, manufacturing industry is the most important because it, it generates most of the um, money in China. It's the biggest pillar in the Chinese economy. At the same time, uh, the Chinese uh, laborers' wages are increasing rapidly because the country is doing well. Um, to be more than 2x of that in India and, and Vietnam, for example. So China has an imperative to shift to automation because that will, is the only way that will lower the cost in manufacturing and help China to uh, retain the status as a world's factory, thereby um, getting a better foundation for the economy. Therefore, clearly the Chinese government will want to see uh, automation happen. The Chinese manufacturing factory owners will want to see that. So why don't we invest these technologies and hope that there will be early adopters, there will be subsidies to take them off, to take off faster. So, so we have theses like this. I won't go into details for the other areas, but we are, for the same similar reasons, we invested big in autonomous vehicles, some of the advanced semiconductors, uh, and also uh, invested in healthcare technologies, including life sciences, uh, the use of uh, AI and data uh, for uh, healthcare, and and also um, new medical devices. Uh, so so these are the uh, our effort to expand, starting with AI and mobility, but now into many areas of high tech and deep tech, uh, because our company uh, actually has fifteen PhDs and eighty percent are engineering graduates. So we really speak the language of high-tech entrepreneurs, and that has given us some advantage. Wow, that is pretty pretty rare for a fund to have uh, so much uh, knowledge inside the, the team. Um, you kind of gave us a very broad overview of how you guys approach investing and the types of businesses that you've invested in. So is this exclusively AI and AI-driven businesses? 
Uh, no, as I mentioned, we also invest in medical devices, uh, life sciences, uh, biosciences, synthetic biology, new drug discovery, using or not using AI. Uh, and we also invest in new software systems and new uh, hardware systems and semiconductors, which might or might not have anything to do with AI. So basically anything that's deep tech, anything that's uh, uh, hard to understand but can make a big impact, uh, we, that's, that's an area we like. Super. And tell me, which company in your portfolio has your attention, gets you the most excited right now? Well, many of them do. But I would say as a sector, we have many investments in the automation manufacturing sector. So, so we have a robot that is uh, based, that looks like uh, five bubbles, so it can pick up anything. We have investments in a robotic company called Megarobo that can automate laboratories and life sciences and, and rapidly increase productivity for drug discovery and research. So I think that will do great things for, for, for mankind. We have an investment in a, a drone company that does agricultural drones um, uh, called XAG, and they will spray um, fertilizers, insecticide, um, and can significantly reduce the cost of running a farm and that thereby, again, bring big benefits to the economy uh, immediately. So these robotic companies are really taking off uh, because they, they can show return on investment and, and the government strongly support them as an effort to move towards automation. Very, very exciting. Um... Also, I'm assuming that you guys invest uh, around the world on a global level. Tell me a little bit, because you kind of have hinted on, you mentioned um, your view of China, for example, especially with regards to manufacturing. Um, on a global level, what is standing out to you right now? Well, we don't invest that much uh, globally, mostly because our expertise and connections are largely in China and also because COVID makes it hard to travel. Uh but we have made some investments. We've made one investment in France not too long ago and several in the U.S. before that. Uh, but mostly we invest in China. Uh, what looks exciting, um, in, I think, in the U.S., I think the growth of enterprise software, uh, the combination of uh, AI on top of cloud um, and uh, enterprise uh, software built on top of that, uh, and all that accelerated by... Uh, work from home, causing the workflow process to become digital. Uh, that, I think, is a very exciting thing uh, happening, in, drive driven largely by the U.S. Uh, Europe, I'm really impressed by the quality of universities. I wish I could spend more time visiting there because there are probably many gems I would pick up. Uh, there was one that we invested in that, that built a phenomenal uh, camera module with semiconductor that no other company has. So... So I think there are many gems inside European universities that I'd love to uh, go and try to find them when the COVID is over. Wonderful. And tell us, just because we're based in France, so we have to know about your French investment. Which company is that? It's a company called the Prophecy. And uh, there were announcements by the company. It's, um, it's based in France. Uh, it was a government-funded research that allowed them to build a a special kind of a camera module um, that is differential based, namely that it stores a lot less data by tracking uh, differences from 
uh, frame to frame. And it's a brand new type of capture. It actually will make photos more vivid and smaller to store. So when this starts to happen on mobile phones, you will know that you have it because uh, your photos will become smaller yet sharper. It's an amazing technology done by a lot of uh, super smart people in France. Very exciting. Um, so we've gotten a chance to kind of talk about your background, your different books, now your fund. Um, I'd like to end on a little bit of your vision for the future of AI. What, what is the best case scenario? Uh, the best case scenario is that uh, we continue to manage AI well. Uh, we use it to do constructive things. Uh, it does a lot of routine tasks for us, but uh, while it causes some disruptions on jobs, um, people evolve to doing more interesting things while delegating to AI the routine jobs. So we humans are liberated from ever having to do routine work. So that would be quite wonderful. Um, another good case scenario would be the cost of goods come down substantially. Uh, for example, AI doing automated manufacturing, 3D printing should make things much more affordable. At the same time, uh, life science and material revolution are making the cost of materials cheaper and energy revolution with solar and, and battery storage is making distributed energy less expensive. So all of that's moving in a direction that I hope can allow us to eradicate hunger and poverty and provide um, a good, decent life to, to all. Uh, and that would be uh, the other, I think, thing that's exciting. And, and lastly, I think there should just be a lot of amazing products that wow us, uh, robots and drones and autonomous vehicles. Um, it's, it's almost like living in science fiction. And I think that would be uh, equally exciting too. That is a pretty good note for us to end on, eradicating hunger, poverty, and getting excited about the different experiences created by AI. Uh, Kai-Fu, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This podcast is supported by TikTok. If you like this episode, make sure to leave us many, many stars. We are available on all your usual podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and Deezer. And if you have any speaker requests, feel free to ping us on Twitter or at press at stationf.co.